This week on Plot Points Podcast, we pet Jeff's peeves, Joe and Victor arrive, and we all visit the gallows. Senior Charlie Grimm will die after a prop malfunction during the high school's presentation of the gallows. This is Plot Points Podcast. podcast. We are uh, coming to you on a beautiful Southern California uh, morning on a, a Sunday before Father's Day. And uh, the weather is very um, June-like. It's clement. It's warm. It's going to be even warmer than it was yesterday. And uh, I don't know how happy I am about that, but I'm sure everybody else is. Um, I'm not a warm weather person by any means. So. Ohio boy. Yeah, yeah, I can't take the boy out of Ohio or Ohio out of the boy, I guess. <laughs> so uh, with me is uh, Victor Fan, and we have uh, Jeff Lyons is back with us. Hi, Jeff. And uh, we have a special treat, uh, Joe Becker from Joe Becker Films, who is uh, one of my longtime students, but also a friend and a terrific writer, just um, a writing machine. Um, and uh, Joe, what? Uh, tell them the, the, the URL of your website. Uh, thanks for having me on. My URL is joebeckerfilms.com. Okay. And you can go there and see some of uh, Joe's uh, work. Uh, he'd be happy to send it to you, any prospective uh, producers, directors, uh, studio executives. So um, so we we had a uh, an event last night, or yesterday afternoon, I should say, with uh, the filmmakers who did the movie The Gallows. And uh, just by way of introduction, these two guys – one was is from Nebraska and was in L.A. at school at the New York. I think it's called the New York Academy of Film in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's New York Film Academy in Burbank. Okay, okay, there you go. Thanks, thanks, Victor. Yeah. And um, he was working on a student film, and a a guy got wind uh, that he needed stuntmen, and so this uh, Travis Clough had had uh, signed into and um, won. The, the the second season of Wipeout, which is an amazing accomplishment. If you've ever seen the show, I've, I've seen bits of it. Uh, it's just insane. People jump on big balls of whatever they are, neoprene or whatever, and they try to run across fle- flexible stalks of whatever. It's, it's really amazing. Uh, and so the two of them got together and um, formed a partnership in Fresno, California, which if you know anything about uh, Fresno, it's it's got a great university, but it's an agricultural area. It's not really a film capital, but they uh, they have managed to build an empire in uh, in this very rural area of California. Um, and they came and talked to us about their their journey and their story. I, and for my part, I thought it was incredible, just incredible. What'd you guys think? Yeah, we loved it. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was great. You know, it was a little bit different than a lot of our events, which we have an industry professional come and give a little bit of advice and, and talk about what's going on today in the market and what you have to do to adjust to try to sell. And these guys just kind of got up and told the story of how they met and how they formed their company and how their first film got made and how it became successful and got distribution. And it was kind of cool to just hear this story start to finish mm. and then ask questions about uh, how they responded emotionally to what was going on. Uh, it, it was a different event for us and it was a big success, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, the we in all of this is Orange County Screenwriters Association. Um, and we'll, we'll provide show links uh, or uh, uh, links in the show notes. 
Uh, but we do, uh, we do probably what about four of these, uh, events a year, um, uh, where we have people over to the claim jumper in Fountain Valley and do a bank, a little banquet at lunch and, and speakers. And, um, this one was, I thought, well, not only well attended, but, uh, just such great energy in the room. We also have upcoming on June 20th, uh, OC Film and Television or OCFilmandTV.com is a project of the OC screenwriters. We do uh, networking events at um, C3 Coffee and Vape in uh, Costa Mesa every third Wednesday. And uh, this uh, this upcoming Wednesday, which I believe is June 20th, we have uh, new media guru Frank Chindamo, um, who we've had before at the, at the Claim Jumper. Very dynamic speaker, really cool. And he helps uh, people and organizations create viral videos to promote their work so that you don't really need an agent or a manager. And Jeff, I think this is something that you've dabbled in a little bit. Is that true or, or am I not right on that? No, I, not really. No. Not okay. Really. Well, I mean, but you, I guess maybe what I'm responding to or, or, or trying to posit is that you do a lot of, you know, self-promotion. Uh, you, you, you use, you do audio books and stuff, but by the way, you're doing a survey right now on whether you should, uh, we should do, uh, you should do an audio version of your book. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah. I, I was, um, um, <coughs> there's a, there's a, there's a, a huge thing happening now in the, in the, in the publishing world is that audio books are and have been, taking off uh, for quite some time and it's only get, only increasing Pe- more and more people are listening to audiobooks than reading ebooks wow um, and I did a little experiment and I, I published um, uh, one of my novellas 13 minutes uh, sci-fi horror novella great novella uh, thank you um, when I published it uh, through findaway voices and uh, which is a competitor to audio uh, audible mm-hmm um, and they're fantastic, and it got an incredible uh, narrator, blah, blah, blah. But it, it, I did a little experiment to see, you know, what was going to happen. And um, with no promotion, really, other than just a couple of, you know, posts on Facebook uh, and something on Twitter, um, I have sold, like, Hundreds of audiobooks versus tens of ebooks in the wow. same time period. That's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. So um, I contacted my publisher uh, for Anatomy of a Premise Line and and just asked them was it possible to get the audiobook rights re- reverted back to me? Mm-hmm. And to my surprise, they said, "Yeah, no problem. We never get people asking for audiobooks." Wow. Which just shows you how myopic publishers have become in some things. <laughs> yeah. just, I mean. Well, nobody asks us, so, you know, hey, it's one of the biggest profit centers in publishing, and nobody asks for audiobooks, so you're not doing it? Wow. Okay, fine. Give me my rights back. And they said, okay. That's incredible. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, um, to pub- probably pare it down because you know, I'm not sure how to do all the, the, the examples and the, the, oh, yeah. the sidebars and all that stuff, I'm, I, you know, or whether I'm going to hire a narrator or do it myself. I, don't, I haven't figured all that out yet. But um, So that's, that's the idea behind it is to take advantage of this trend in publishing mm-hmm. or audio. Yeah, maybe you could, do, maybe you could post uh, examples on a website. Because uh, like, I, I, when, when I used to buy software, um, mm-hmm. on, you know, uh, like with a, what do you call it, um, you know, CD versions of software, software a lot right. of times they would put the example files are on blank or you can go to here and find this or something. Right, right, right. Yeah. All right. Well, that segues, uh, segues us nicely into what are we watching? We'll come, we'll circle back to the events as a little commercial later on, but uh, I want to move into what are we watching or what are we writing? Actually, let's talk about that first because uh, I think we're going to be a little bit long today. So let's cut that out for now and come back to it if we need it. But uh, what are we writing or working on? Uh, anybody, uh, I, uh, Victor, I know you just started a brand new position, a really amazing position with an amazing company in Westwood. Uh, congratulations on that, first Thank of you. all. Uh, Thank you. You deserve it because <clears throat> I'm, uh, as, uh, as Larry said last night at the meet, at the thing, I may be the hardest working man in Hollywood, but you're the hardest working man in, in, in any industry. You just, you work your butt off. So you get whatever you get, you earn. 
Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so how's that all going, by the way? It's going really well. Um, you know, like, uh, like I was telling you guys yesterday, it's the, the first time in my life I'm actually getting paid enough to only work one job, you know, <laughs> so, which, is, <laughs> which is really nice. Yeah. That's nice. Uh, yeah, but uh, it's actually freeing up time now. Now that I don't have papers to grade anymore, I actually have time to write. And um, Mark, you probably remember this. A few years back, um, my agent got me a book deal um, for a novel in an anthology, and you actually wrote the introduction to the anthology. Yeah, I don't remember any of that. I must have been on drugs or something if I wrote an introduction. I mean, I'm sure you got them from me, so it's all good. <laughs> but um, yeah, kidding, so we're kidding, kids, don't don't, don't run <laughs> yeah. out and get any. Uh, what, what's that stuff, that, Joe? You wrote about ayahuasca or whatever that is. Ayahuasca. <laughs> You're not going to find that on the street. No, I, I guess not. Okay, I'm sorry, Victor. Go ahead. Yeah, no worries, no worries. Um, so so you know um the the I so I wrote the I wrote the novel or novella, and then I wrote all the the anthology short stories. But then the deal fell through. The publisher went underwater, right? Wow. So, but luckily I still, I own the rights to everything. So this week, since I have all this free time now, I've been restructuring everything. And I'm actually going to do what Richard, you know, Mark and I are hardcore science fiction fans. And one of my favorite writers of all time is Richard Matheson. And yeah. what, you know, Richard Matheson used to do is that he would publish a novel, but the end of his novels would be all of his short stories. So that's what I'm going to do. I'll have one big novel and at the end will be all the short stories in one. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Well, maybe... Yeah. Maybe Jeffy can help you with that. He's uh, he's quite an accomplished author, so uh, you know, hit him up. Yeah, I, definitely, I love that. You like uh, that I just volunteered you, Jeff? <laughs> I, I do appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Uh, well, that's cool that you're working on that. I, I look forward to uh, writing another introduction if I need to. I'm always there for you, bro. Thank you, you. You've 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 proven yourself over time and time again. So. Um, so, Joe, I know you're you're always working on something. Uh, you you you're just one of the more prolific. <clears throat> excuse me, I, I would say most prolific writers I have in uh, have met in quite a while. What what do you want to talk about? Well, uh, I'm currently working on a micro budget drama mm, called Bridges. One. Yeah, and uh, I have a financial partner and I'm actually going to be producer on this one. Wow. Um, we got a lawyer, we're packaging it up. We're looking for a director and, uh, it's a small enough budget. You know, I've written a lot of scripts and every single one of them is less expensive than the last. And this one's <laughs> well under a million below the line. So wow. we're going to try to, I'm, I'm tired of relying on other people. And, uh, I, I could tell you the story, what happened to that script that got optioned, but that, that'd take too long and, and it's depressing. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be hands on this time. And then I got nobody to blame, but myself. So, well, I mean, you know, it's a different, it's a different journey, uh, what, to what you what you have been doing. And I think in many ways, uh, a really, a really great one, but there's also greater risk and there's also greater rewards. So y you never know. I mean, I think, I think of all the scripts you've written, uh, this one touches the heart more than anything I've, I've ever read by you. And it's really a powerful drama. So given that you're writing it, uh, for a budget for a really reasonable budget, I think it could be a, a lot, it could be great. Um, so good luck on it, man. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you very much. Jeff, what do you, I know you've been, you've been at the producers guild, uh, doing that voodoo that you do. What else are you working on? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, um, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still, uh, working on that, on that, uh, freelance, I guess it's, I guess it's kind of a bizarre thing. It's, it's, I'm developing a TV, a TV series for a, a Chinese producer. Right. And we're finishing that we got the pilot done. Now we're working on a couple of other episodes because that's kind of how you have to do things these days. You, you can't sell shows usually on the basis of just a pilot anymore to streaming companies. They, they usually want you to have at least one or two other episodes. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, you know, cause I'm shifting everything more toward the television arena for myself now as a writer. So I'm really kind of getting focused on moving myself into television. Yeah, um, very so viable. That's, that's what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just television is huge these days with, uh, I, you know, I, I think it's a misnomer to say television. I don't know what you guys think about this, but when you're talking about shows like um, Luther and West War Westworld and uh, Stranger Things, I don't know if I characterize them as television or just long-form narrative movies. No, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. It, it, TV's the, 
the term t- television is kind of, you know, morphed into, it doesn't really have any meaning anymore. I, I, you're right. It's long form storytelling. Yeah. It's serialized episodics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but today it's just, inc- I just love the, the, the variety that's out there. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's endless and it's not going away. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, this isn't, I mean, if there was a golden age, this, this is the golden age, you know, but it, it's, it's, um, it, it's not, it's not going to be going away anytime soon. Yeah. We should do, um, we should maybe do in the future a podcast, um, primarily on television and television writing and, and what we know about it and what we don't know and uh, the trends and stuff like that. Cause it is yeah. so, so incredibly viable. Yeah. And as far as for me, I'm uh, I got a lead on a producer um, who really liked the concept and I'm not going to mention it on the air. So don't ask. Um, but anyway, uh, I had written a script or pilot episode and a Bible and uh, he flipped over it. So I'm meeting with him uh, this Friday. Um, cool. Yeah, we're going to see what we can do. I mean, he's not a he's not a big guy. You know, he's not like uh, I don't know, name a you know television producer, or whatever. But uh, but right. he's definitely got connections into a lot of that world. And um, you know, we, I was thrilled uh, when he really resonated. I think it's a great. I really think it's a great idea. I, not because I came up with it, but just that it's the kind of thing that I would watch. That's. I guess that's you know maybe the the determiner. So if it's something that you would watch, um, that's how much you like it. Is you would say, yeah, I would watch that. I I think that's for me. That's a that's a big part of it. I've written plenty of stuff that I was, I've written plenty of stuff things that I wouldn't watch, uh, given my own, given a choice. But um, this is something I would definitely watch. So so working on that, working on my book proposal still, although I haven't had time for any of that. So and then the teaching. So uh, moving ahead, we'll. We'll see how things go. I hope it's a productive summer for everybody. Joe, what's your uh, ETA on uh, bridges? Are you? Uh, do you have a kind of a, a, a plan moving forward for that? Um, well, ideally, we'll shoot it next summer because um, I'm casting my daughter in one of the starring roles. You mean and, one of your very talented daughters? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, and she's—I wrote it for her and. Oh, She's uh, she's going to be graduating uh, from UCLA uh, at the end of next year in musical theater, and she'll be available that summer. So um, that's when I hope to shoot it. It's probably, it's going to be about a twenty day shoot, and um, we're still shopping for the right director, and that'll determine how things go. And uh, you know, he'll make input and want changes, and and the script will go and develop further. And so it, it's a road that I can't predict at this point. But uh, if everything falls in place the way I'm imagining and hoping then uh sometime in uh late july of next year we'll shoot right. i can't wait i can't wait for that to happen so because i know how hard you've worked uh in the time that i've known you and even before i met you uh how hard you worked at at getting something like this done so uh all the best thank you oh, you're welcome okay at this point uh i have a task to mr becker um with the top 10 list, top 10 indie movies. Um, now, maybe we should talk a little bit about what is an indie movie uh, or what our de- – we don't have to get into – Joe has his own definition, but what, how would how would Jeff and uh, Victor, how would you define an indie movie? Um, well, I mean, uh, there's a, the business perspective, which is, is a film that's made outside of the Hollywood system, outside right. of the, the 12 major studios. Um, so there's that part of perspective. But then there's the artistic – because, you know, these, these films that are made outside the system, they have a, a certain artistic way they're done. Um, and the, something that's specific about an indie film, as opposed to a tentpole film, is that an indie, an indie film challenges the audience, while mm-hmm. a tentpole film doesn't necessarily do that. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, like, you know, The Kids Are Alright is about, you know, two lesbians who, uh, who they have the same sperm donor, and now they're, they're, they have, the kids are growing up, and they want to meet their biological father. Right. That type of plot line challenges the audience. Yeah, but what about, I mean, don't uh, studios all have indie uh, labels like uh, Warner Independent, Fox Searchlight? They, they do now, but those are usually acquisitions. They don't, they don't like, put the money up. They buy it when it's been made by the, the guys who got money from their corporate attorneys. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I, you know, Joe, Joe and I talked a little bit yesterday at the event, and when I mentioned this, or when he mentioned it, I said, well, 
uh, how can you go by that definition? Because by that definition, blah, you know, so, I mean, I, I, you know, I respect whatever Joe came up with. I have no issues with it, but I had a, I have a different, you know, indie films to me are like the three, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Those that's to me, that's an indie film because it's not a, not necessarily a high concept, uh, big budget uh, film, even though it may have been done by a studio. To me, that's an indie film. But. Well, but you, that definitely challenges the audience. Yeah, definitely. Right. Okay. Well, doesn't um, doesn't uh, Arrival challenge the audience? Absolutely. Is that an indie film? No. Yeah. Studio so, picture. Huh? It's a studio picture, big time. Well, yeah. no, but I mean, it, it, it challenged, I think Arrival challenges the audience more than three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. It, oh, I don't, I, I don't want to get into that, but um, I mean, I thought three billboards was brilliant, but uh, they're both excellent movies. But the thing is, it, you know, one was, was made outside the studio system, and that studio system, for the most part, uh, is not looking for movies that challenge the audience. Yeah, they're they're looking for movie. movies that the audience shells out money for. Right. Basically, right. they want they want. I mean, they're making comic book movies, and it, it, it's all about money. Whereas there's a certain art vibe with an indie film. There's a certain amount of we're making a piece of art. We're communicating something to the audience. We've got something to say as filmmakers, and and you know the studio just doesn't take that perspective. Well, but there's there's a there's a new wrinkle in the definition. <clears throat> when you consider streaming so-called studios, mm. when something like Netflix is now valued higher than Disney, yes, um, are those original programs now considered studio pictures? Mm. And those are certainly not ten poles. Um, so I think I think I think the definitions are getting a little fuzzy on some in some ways. I, I absolutely agree with that. I would agree with that too. Yeah, it's not black and white. I mean, nobody makes a movie to lose money, Joe. So I don't understand what this idea is. A, a, a studio picture may be $300 million and looking for a billion dollars. But uh, The Gallows, uh, which is not, not an indie film, it's a horror film, but they spent, what, $200,000, $300,000 and grossed $43 million. I'm sure anybody in the world would love that return, that ROI. So uh, anyway, all right. Well, let's, the, um, <clears throat> as with many things, the definition is a slippery slope. But let's hear what uh, Joe has to talk about with uh, your top 10 indie movie list. We should have some sort of uh, uh, trumpet uh, thing going there. But <laughs> we'll have to settle for me laughing. Okay, uh, <laughs> okay so ju just to continue a little bit to, to explain what's on my list and what's missing, um, I, I don't include any horror um, because it's not a genre that I study, so mm -hmm. I can't give you an informed opinion. Um, and by the same token, I, I don't watch and study uh, overly violent movies. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Shaun of the Dead, Blair Witch, that stuff won't be on my list, nor will a film like Blood Simple, which I think if you research top 10 indie film lists out there, that movie is going to be on a lot of lists. Right. Uh, um, as will the usual suspects. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm omitting those for my personal reasons, um, you know, because I, I don't uh, watch those movies. I don't deconstruct them as much and, and I'm not interested in creating them. So I'm not a student of those type of films. Okay. Um, I'm also 86 ing Woody Allen's movies. Uh, they're made outside the studio system, but you know, I think he's almost a genre unto himself and you guys did a podcast on, on Woody. So, oh, Woody, yeah. um, uh, great as Annie Hall is, and it, it belongs on the top 10 list of, you know, no matter what you're picking out, it's just not on my list today. Um, so I'll start with uh, one of my favorite movies, which happens to be an indie, uh, The Player. Uh, yeah, that's a great one. Um, which, you know, not only is it a great film, it's also a great novel, and that's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. uh, it was made for $8 million. It's Robert Altman, who I think belonged on, on this list um, for at least one of the things he did. And um, so I, I picked that because it, it definitely challenges the audience. I love the fact that it's a, a send-up of the Hollywood system. Yeah, it was good. And um, uh, uh, Next I've got here uh, The Crying Game. Mm. Interesting. Which very challenging, and uh, for three million bucks, really delivered um, some uh, a pretty amazing film. Uh, I wanted to pick a Charlie Kaufman movie, mm -hmm. uh, so I went with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Okay, uh, because I I just deconstructed and thought about that movie so much, it stayed with me a long time after I after I saw it, and I that's always an important thing and a good I, sign. I would agree. Yeah, sure. Okay. 
Sex Lies and Videotape. Oh, wow. That's a classic. Um, Lone Star, John oh. Sayles' film. Oh, yeah, man. We're right down the line on that. I loved Lone Star. Totally. Little Miss Sunshine. Okay. Uh, Lars and the Real Girl. Oh, <laughs> wonderful, too. Uh, and that, I had a very personal connection with, with the subject matter there uh, because I viewed it as a, you know, you can view movies in a, in a certain psychological paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, some movies are Freudian, some movies are Jungian, and you can tell when the writer really knew what he was doing and was 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 going that direction. And this is to me is an Imago movie. Imago is a type of counseling that uh, is if you understand it and you watch this movie, you'll see it. And it's it was very interesting to me. Uh, Boogie Nights, oh, I thought was just a brilliant movie. It was yeah. funny and it was so well done. And uh, Burt Reynolds amazed me. And, <laughs> which is, you know, I, I was shocked that he was able to do that. Um, and then I, I'm including a movie that I just saw a couple days ago um, oh, yeah. uh, called First Reformed. Yeah, um, you, you mentioned Ethan that. Hawke. It is, uh, it's Paul Schrader, and it's one of his best scripts. Uh, and, boy, is it a thought-provoking film. It's really well done. I encourage everybody to go see it. Has Schrader done anything? Uh, well, I mean, famously he's done Taxi Driver, but has he done anything recently that uh, has uh, moved the needle? Boy, I, you know, nothing comes to my mind. The yeah. last thing I can remember, but didn't move the needle at all, though, was like he did the prequel to The Exorcist like a decade ago. Oh, but it didn't move the needle at all. Right. I'm looking at his um, his filmography on IMDb. Oh, Bringing Out the Dead, uh, but that was '99. Yeah, that's in the '90s, dude. I was in high school. Dying of shut up. Uh, <laughs> Dying of the light. Dying yeah. The light. That was a good uh, one. I, I don't think he's very active anymore. No, you're right, uh, Jeff. I, I'm not. I mean, he has a he, he has a 24 credit filmography for writer for writing. 23 as a direct. Did he direct this too? Joe? He did. Okay. Yeah. Well. Anyway, he. Uh, you know. I guess you don't have to. First of all, you don't have to be that active if you're this good, right? And second of all, he's probably still living off the residuals of Taxi Driver yeah. from 1976. That is an incredible film. Well, and he's. You know, I don't know this for a fact, but personality-wise, I've heard interviews with him on National Public Radio, and he could be one of those guys with a closet full of scripts that you know he's salingering out. He just doesn't. He doesn't need the money. So one of these yeah, days, we may find a, a bunch of his movies, and uh, somebody could make them. Yeah, you guys. If you uh, we sh- we should have probably done Paul Schrader as a focal when I used to do uh, the writers focus. Uh, he definitely would be on on the list. I mean, Raging Bull, Cat People, American Gigolo, yeah. uh, Temptation of Christ. Uh, you know, uh, just incredible. Mosquito Coast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah hardcore, uh, Rolling Thunder. You keep it going. Right. Well, Mosquito Coast was based on a book, um, so I wouldn't necessarily give him as much credit for that. It was a great movie, though. Uh, it, the you know the premise of that? Well, we we don't need to go through it. Okay, so we're up to number one, right? Yeah, we've. I I did them in reverse order. Actually, there's no real order. No, you were um, right. right. Yeah, I just I just pulled. I had about 15 movies on, and I just said, "Hi, right, I got to cross some out." So <laughs> off they went. Um, what What do you have? What do you have left? That's it. We're done. Oh, that's ten. Six, seven, eight, nine. I'm missing one. The player, crying game, eternal sunshine, sex lies, videotape, Lone Star, Little Miss Sunshine, Lars and the Real Girl, Boogie Nights, First Reform. Uh, okay, well, um, I had Garden State on my list, oh, and yeah. Um, yeah, Winter's Bone. Oh, I loved Winter's Bone. Yeah. I'm actually about to send a proposal or a uh, send an offer to Deborah Granick to direct my film Bridges. Wow. I, I can't guarantee that it'll get past her agent, but you know, my, my lawyer's drafting that, and we're going to send that out this week. Yeah, Winter's Bone probably most notable for um, Jennifer or um, Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. Um, her one of her first, the first films that really you know uh, made people aware of her. She it, it was right. great. It was incredible. So yeah, I mean, it's a two million dollar film, and it stars yeah. Jennifer Lawrence. You know, she wasn't known at that point. Right, right. <laughs> and that's how that's you know that's what happens. One movie just you know all of a sudden the uh, the the door like with the guys with the gallows they. The story they told was so incredible. I'm going to do, uh, hopefully get a review done for uh, OC Screenwriters website pretty soon. But just the idea, you know, one of the things that, um, and hopefully this is going to be your experience, Joe, 
But one of the one of the things they said was when you're aiming for something, suddenly doors open. Um, and I think it's more than that. I think it's just that you make those doors open, but you're just not aware of it for some reason. But um, some of those, like Winter's Bone, what a what a, a, a you know precipitous uh, casting that was to take one of the number one stars in the world before she was one of the number one star, or you know the movie that made her the number one star. Yeah. So, okay, great. Uh, now, now, so a movie like Silver Linings Playbook wouldn't wouldn't be on your list. I love Silver Linings Playbook. Um, I, for whatever reason, I don't consider. I didn't consider that to be an indie film. I mean, you got some big stars in it. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's not really one of the. I don't know what that was. Somebody that sounded like like a uh, coffee machine passed gas or something like that. Sorry, guys. I live on Slauson. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you mean you do business on Slauson? You're on the <laughs> yeah street pharmacy business. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a great list. Um, we could, without a doubt, talk about every one of those movies for two hours, and um, they're, they're just great. Jeff, did you have anything you wanted to say about any of these films? Do you, are you a are you a John Sales fan? Yes, I am. Um, actually, I had the pleasure of getting to meet him in New Jersey. Oh. Um, and had a really great talk with him about labor movement stuff, and because mm-hmm. he's an old, he's an old, you know, labor radical. And, well, I love. Did you see Mate One? Oh yeah, uh, Mate One's great. Yeah, it's, it's one, of, one of his best for sure. Um, and he's, you know, he's 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 like he is the archetypal uh, indie, you know, artist. You yes. know, and and and. I just have so much respect for him just as a talent, but also as a, as a, as someone who has the integrity about maintaining in their creative independence mm-hmm. um, of what, of, of, of what price they're willing to pay in terms right. of professional accolades and access and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he made, he made a conscious decision, the kind of career he wanted for himself, I think. Right. Um, and I, I really, really respect that. Yeah, what I like about him <clears throat> is he did a lot of genre films when he was just getting started. Yeah. And um from the Corman school. Yeah, and didn't care, you know, that much about what what people thought and uh I mean Mate One is is genius. Lone Star is genius. Uh you know, uh, pa- uh what was it Passion Fish uh is is really amazing. They're all, they're all just great movies and like Jim Jarmusch and Harry Jaglum, those guys, you know, those are true indie filmmakers because they they shoot with nothing, uh, with you know, no expectation they're going to make any money on it. So, so he's a good he's a good addition to this list, um, and all the rest of them. I love the fact that you added Boogie Nights in there, Joe. That's I wouldn't have thought that was be. be I mean, I know you like the movie, but I wouldn't have thought it would be on your indie top ten list. Um, okay, so uh, that was great. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate the uh, the research, and I didn't. I don't think you had much trouble coming up with the list. Like you said, you had more than more than ten. Um, okay, so we're going to move on to at this point a uh, pet writing peeve of Jeff Lyons. Uh, who probably has a dozen or so of them because I'm, we're Facebook friends and of course I see a lot of his posts and he's very very gracious. But every once in a while you can see the uh, frustration leak out of the corners of his eyes. So uh, Jeff, you want to talk a little bit about? I don't know. I don't remember what it is, but go ahead and uh, and give it to us. The last chapter of my my book Anatomy of Premise Line is devoted completely to this topic. <laughs> oh, interesting. It's such a problem. Um, I think anyway. Um, and and the, the way I see it, just real quickly, is is there's there everybody gets blocked. There's no question about it. You get creatively blocked. But I think it's really important. You know, I always talk about this idea of the conscious writer, knowing what you're writing, why you're writing, you know, what it's about. You know, understanding your process consciously as a writer. And if you're blocked, to understand whether it's writing related or life related. Mm. You know, because, you know, maybe, you know, your, your lover left you and now you can't write, mm-hmm. or, you know, your dog died. You can't write. You, you lost your, your main job. You can't write. You're stressed out. Okay. These big major life stressors will impact everything in your life, including your writing. But that's not a writer's, that's not writer's block. Writer's block has to be related in my mind to the writing process. Hmm. Okay. In other words, there's something in your process that's and, and the only situation I see as a valid one for why someone could be 
blocked in the writing process is that the only scenario really that's valid in my mind is that you have so much in the creative pipeline that you get clogged and you can't make discerning choices about what to do next. Mm. And so you freeze. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't, you can't get that relative placement of priority, right? So you just kind of, you know, you stop, you know, and the way to break through that is not to go, you know, take a long walk on the beach. The way to get through that is to deal with story, to deal with, look at the structure of your material, see where in that structure you're caught. Mm-hmm. And I use this process all the time when this happens to me, because I've got, I'm writing in my head all the time. I've got all kinds of, I got tons of, you know, we all do. And I get, and I get clogged up. Mm-hmm. And then, if I get that way on a specific story, I just go through the beats. I go through the basic story structure ideas. And I always find the spot where I'm having, there's a cloud and I can't see the clarity. That's where I know the problem is. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I start doing automatic writing. I start whatever technique works for you to, to get through that process. But writing is a solution to writer's block when it's real writer's block and not just, you know, your life's not working. Right. You know? Yeah. that's and, and, and what I find is that people just, you know, give their power away to it and they don't really get into it and try to figure it out. They just, you know, let themselves get ruled by it. And, right. and it's counterproductive. I, I would agree with a lot of what you're saying. And I know Joe and Victor probably have a lot to say about this, but let me just express this for me, for me personally, there is no such thing as writer's block. Um, there's times where I'm creatively stumped. But if you become a professional writer, you don't have the opportunity to be blocked. You can't write a a movie like an adaptation because you're blocked when you're when you suddenly decide I can't write this film. I actually agree with you. I don't believe in writer's block. Yeah, but I made that concession because what happens is this is another nice little soundbite you want to put into the side chip into the sidewalk <laughs> that people people will fight to the death to defend their limitations. And that's a wonderful way to say that. And, and, and what, ha- what I found is that when I have on, been on discussion groups or talk, like I hate writing groups. I just, I hate writing groups with the heat of a Nova. And, <laughs> and that's another discussion we can have at some point. But what happens when you say to somebody, there is no writer's block, but I'm blocked. You're invalidating my emotional experience. And I get into this big, tug of war about validating their personal experience and you know, how dare I and blah, blah, blah. So I just kind of backed off and said, okay, fine. There is writer's block, but very precise, very precise. It's only about writing, you know? So thank you for saying that. I I, am actually in total agreement with you. I, and I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not letting my other co-host speak, which is the, the, just a sign of a bad podcasting host, but, uh, that there's so much to talk about with this, but one of the things that I've taken away from existentialism is the idea of bad faith, which is you blame a deity for your sins. Uh, and existentialists would say there is no deity to blame. It's just you. And so when you're, when you say they're just validating their limitations, that sounds to me like bad faith. And that is a huge part of uh, any, any creative process is saying, I can't do it because of blank. It's a, it's a rationalization. So. Well, that's the buy-in, you know, that's the, that's the giving your power away to it. You, rather than, re, rather than identify, rather than, than, um, 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 it's, it's this, it's this idea of identification versus relating mm. rather than, rather, you know, it's this idea that if you fail, you are a failure. No, if you fail, that's something you've done as a person. Mm-hmm. You re, you relate to it. You don't identify, you don't become the thing, you know? And, and people identify with that, with their limitation. You know, that's why they defend it so vociferously, you know, and it's, it's very, very much that, 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 that idea you just expressed. It's this okay. emotional buy-in yeah. where they give their power away to the idea. Yeah. Never do that. Never. Okay. That is a wonderful uh, pet peeve. Jeff, I think we're all in agreement. I'm sure Victor would be a hundred percent behind this if we had given him a chance to talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just uh, it's it's there, there are techniques to free yourself creatively, and I don't think it's wrong to take a walk on the beach or. All right, great. We'll, we'll fight about the other one later. What's that? We'll fight about the other one later. <laughs> next next podcast. So, uh, keep it in mind. I'm definitely ready for you. So. <laughs> <laughs> um.
let's remind people where to find us. We can you can find us at Plot Points Podcast, which is the URL for this particular podcast, which is on iTunes. Uh, you can also call nine nineteen scripts to ask a question or leave a comment, and we'd love to hear you get from you guys about uh, either Joe's uh, top ten list or. Uh, Jeff's pet writing peeve or uh, Victor's uh, wonderful whatever he ends up saying. Uh, he doesn't have a segment uh, necessarily this podcast, but he contributes quite a bit. So I appreciate that, buddy. No uh, problem, man. Yeah. Anyway, um, so also you can find uh, there's an embedded uh, uh, sound link to this podcast on ocscreenwriters.com or .org. Um, and if you go to ocfilmandtv.com, you can find our uh, our Wednesday events there. So um, sign up for our newsletter. Keep in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Um, the movie we we're gonna try to get through. I don't. I really have my doubts. We're gonna get be able to keep all this. But uh, the first the first fifteen this week is on the movie Arrival, and I just want to give a little bit background. It's uh, starring Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, and Forrest Whitaker. Um, it gets either between high eighties or nineties in critics and viewer scores. Uh, it was written by Eric uh, Heisesser, Heisesser, based on uh, a story by Ted Chang, uh, which is the story of your life. Anyway, so Arrival tells a story about a, uh, a, a 12 uh, alien landings, uh, a very mysterious in, in nature. Uh, they don't appear to be threatening, but perhaps they are. Um, and so when you read the script, the script is a little bit different than the, uh, than the movie, but it's uh, the scenes that are in the beginning of the script are put in there eventually. It's either an editorial uh, or an editor's decision, director's decision. But um, So on page one, um, we are at the lake house, which is her house, uh, Amy Adams' house. She's the main character. She's a linguist who's tasked with the idea of um, interpreting what the aliens are trying to tell us because they don't speak a language that we understand. In fact, one of the big turning points in the movie is when we discover that they can write. Uh, well, of course they can write, but we can understand their writing, which is, uh, but, but the, the, the major intrigue in the movie is that <clears throat> this theory in linguistics that when you, um, when you write, when you um, understand a language, it rewires your brain so that you become um, a, a part of that culture because you're speaking in that language. And that's particularly um, notable in this film because the what she finds out is that the aliens don't think of time in the same way that we do. And so when she starts learning their language, she starts understanding their concept of time and it completely changes her life, which I thought was just freaking brilliant. Um, so... So on page one, we go to the lake house. A lot of this, I think, did you guys like the opening this way or the way that it is in the movie? Oh, I liked it this way. Um, this this is really fine screenwriting. Uh, I, I, I personally like uh, the voiceover, and I think that's a wonderful technique mm -hmm. um, to have your main character come on with, this, with a voiceover as a bookend at the beginning and at the end of a story. Some people don't like voiceover. I don't like it in the middle, but I like it the way it's employed here. But the writing here is just so good where there's a higher order. Yeah, I would agree with you up to a point where he starts to put in a lot of this inner narrative. Um, there's a lot of inner narrative in here. Jeff, I don't know if that if that uh, if you saw that a lot as a problem or Victor, if you saw that because he says a lot of things that are nowhere you can't see them on the screen. Is that is that a problem for anybody? It is for me. But well, I, I, I think I think. That has. That, I think that was a problem in terms of how they translated it on the film. I don't think. I don't think the, the connection. With, I mean, the whole idea that interacting with the aliens actually changed her um, is a huge piece of, this, of the novella, and they they were able to because of the narrative devices in this in the screenplay they were able to get that idea across. Mm -hmm. I don't think it translated well into the actual movie. Oh, that's interesting. I want to read. This. I, I think. I think. I think unless you had read the story, um, I don't think you would have necessarily understood what was going on in terms of that she was physically changed and her perception of time and everything had been changed because of her work with the aliens. I, I agree with that. Um, I think if you, if you watch the movie you, and then you go and read the script, 
you realize a lot more yeah. by reading the script that, and yeah. you realize what didn't make it. But I think in, to address your question, Mark, mm-hmm. that's always a dance as a screenwriter that you're doing. Um, how much flowery, metaphoric, novelistic writing can you put in your screenplay? Um, let's skip ahead because the first two or three pages are basically – uh, her with her daughter, who who plays a big part of this story uh, or her life story, but uh, I I think it you know it's more in the end. It's not really shown in the beginning of the film as much. Uh, we pretty much pick up with her uh, on campus, and uh, I mean again, this to me this is a lot of this is very much housekeeping until we get to the arrival of the aliens, which is uh, what what page is that on? In page four or five. Uh, where she goes to her, yeah, she goes to her class on page five, and um, she ends up uh, noticing that there's only four. See, here's an here's an example, and it's a, just a small one, uh, but she it says um, only four students students seated in an otherwise empty classroom on page four. She says, "Where is everybody?" Uh, the grad students in the room shrug. These are the hardcore learners with their laptops out and textbooks open. Uh, there's no way that that is translated to the screen. Nobody gives a shit. Anyway, it's four students. Who cares if they're graduate students? If I mean, if one of the graduate students was important, I could see it. But there's no way that that's an indication that those are the grads. No, you're right, and and there's even more egregious examples throughout the script. Right. No, you're and you're right. Absolutely, and it, that bothered me. Uh, but I mean, it's a one. <laughs> it was such a wonderful. I, I have to read the short story because I'm I'm really interested to see what uh, Jeff's point about how they translated it to the screen. Yeah. The the, the one detail I picked up on page five that I really liked it shows her expertise as a linguist, where she talks talks about Portuguese. And how it's an expression. The language was seen as an expression of art. I thought that was great. I don't know if that's in Mr. Chiang's uh, short story or novella, but that was a great addition. I think that one line or that one uh, segment really, really gives a, a sense of who she is. Uh, and then we have we have a couple pages of what I call housekeeping, which is basically, you know, you got to show the world, you got to show that the aliens have arrived, you got to show the press secretary talking, the reporters asking questions. Um, and then what I what I really loved uh, when this thing started to really pick up for me was on page um, was on page uh, what is this page uh, I lost my page when the helicopter arrives at her house no even before that the uh, the scene with um, Forrest Whitaker when he first comes to her office oh right right yeah yeah exactly. I mean the helicopter see I would have done it. Opposite, I would have done the helicopter on the first. I would have done the helicopter first, but I yeah had it land on the roof of her university building or yeah, something. something like that. But what do you think about the uh, scene between her and Colonel Weber, who's played by Forrest Whitaker? Uh, that starts on page, uh, uh, I think it's ten, yeah, ten A and eleven. What does it show? What is what? What what's accomplished by that scene with her? She's you know he's coming in and saying. Here's the audio, audio recording of the aliens. Translate this for me. And she basically says, uh, I can't do that. And he says, well, you don't have a choice um, because I'm not taking you to the site. And she says, well, then I can't do anything about it. She says, I have to be there in the room. I have to see them speaking. I have to understand how they react and stuff. So she's really basically giving uh, Whitaker the truth. He says uh, something. They have a great line here. Um, let's see. That's on a, a couple pages later. Uh, he says, um, I know what you're doing. And she says, tell me what I'm doing. And he says, I'm not taking you to Montana. It's all I can do to keep it from becoming a tourist site for anyone with TS clearance, which I assume is top secret. And yeah. Louis says, I'm just telling you what it will take to do this job. So, uh, you know, she's, she's not really, she's acting out of ego, but she's saying it's not really ego. I need to be in the room. It's like anybody else, any other expert, I have to do, you have to let me do what I need to do. And he's trying to get a different, uh, different result. So that's on page, uh, that yeah, was that's on, on 13. And, yeah, and on 13. basically he offers to set her up remotely and she says, no. Yeah. And then he's like, what do you mean? No, which I like that line. Right, right, right. Well, and she said, what I liked about this is a couple things. One is that she is full of, she, she has a strong ego. She is a strong woman, but she's, she knows what she's about. I like the fact that she comes across as being not only, uh, I mean, she's so matter of fact in the role at times, and yet that gives her a, a, a great strength. I think it's really well done in that, uh, in that, in that sense. And then there's one thing on page 11 
where where Colonel Weber says uh, you have two two you have another two years on your SSBI, uh, so you still have top secret clearance. That's why I'm in your office and not at Berkeley. And so that creates a like what's he saying? What do you, what do you mean Berkeley? I didn't understand that, but it creates a a great setup for another uh, moment that proves that she is an absolute expert at this. Um, and then on page twelve, um, I you know I think. I think some of this stuff, I, I don't know. I had a problem with some of the, her reactions in the early parts of this, of the script, not in the movie, but in the early parts of the script. Um, and, and I think, I mean, I, some of it was because of the inner narrative, but I think Amy Adams is such a great actress. She was able to convey a lot of that, uh, to the audience, which, which may have been a result of the stuff in the script. I don't, I can't judge that because we don't know what the process was, but, um, like something, you know, it says, like, for instance, Weber replays a portion of the recording on page 12. The alien voice sounds even stranger a second time. How, did that come across? It doesn't come across to me. Um, and and well, so, yeah. Go ahead. Just, I mean, it's in this particular uh, context, you, you're trying to describe something that really is difficult to put into words and you your your whole team whoever's doing the production design and the and the audio and you, you've got to come up with stuff that's alien and how do you put that into a script uh, in these situations i didn't mind his novelistic writing and his metaphor so much well my answer to that would be knowing that um help them out and give them something that makes some sense rather than just throwing it up in the air and saying catch catch it if you can because I, here's the the difference, Joe, and I'm not I'm not saying uh, that I'm a better writer than anybody, but I've been through this, and I know from from bitter experience that if you do not detail it on the page, even if you do detail it on the page, it changes when you get to production. And so, if you don't give it as much thought as you can, you're you're leaving it up to the the vagaries of the production to. to to challenge, you know, it's going to challenge whatever you're doing. Uh, it, it may complete, they may completely get it wrong. Uh, you know, if they make it, if the second time they play that, if it's, it's just tiny squeaky noises or something and the, the linguist can't figure it out because it's completely different. You know, what if that's another character speaking? I, I love, uh, I love when she says, before you commit to him, ask him the Sanskrit word for war and its translation. I love that moment in there because that sets up a very good technique where you're, creating a a question that you're going to answer later. And even though you're not focusing on that question because you're watching uh, or reading what's happening to the character, it comes back up. Uh, And when it comes back up, it kind of blows your hair back because it's a really good moment. Uh, Page 15. I don't know. You get the payoff for him, for her saying no and, and sorry, we can't work together. And this is your last chance. And boom, he's gone. It's like the next scene, the helicopter lands. Um, well, not the next scene, but close to it. Yeah, pretty close. I mean, yeah. she's in her next scene. She's in her bedroom with her hand over her heart because there's a helicopter approaching. Right, right. Um, I'm sorry, we're not hearing from Jeff or Victor. Do you guys have? I know I'm rushing through this, and I apologize, but uh, we're running long on time. Do you guys have anything to say about any of this? Um, the only thing I would say was just um, like the style of the writing. I mean, uh, last time when we did um, was it the Big Sick? Remember mm-hmm. how we talked about how that was a very television written. Um, script. This one's definitely written, you know, by a professional screenwriter who knows a cinematic style. I mean, yeah, there's some narrative stuff in there, but I do like the way the prose reads. Mm-hmm. That's all I had to add. Okay, Jeffy. Nope, nothing new. Okay, so uh, so we get to page uh, 15. Oh, I'm sorry, we skipped over that great moment on page on the scripts page 14. Um, no, wait. Page 15, I'm sorry. Uh, So, Colonel, this is the way the dialogue goes. I think it's great. Uh, Colonel Weber, good morning. Louise, Colonel. Colonel Weber, Gavisti. Louise, that's the word, but what does Danvers say it means in Sanskrit? Colonel Weber, he says it means an argument. What does it really mean? Louise says, a desire for more cows. That's just great. When you say, you know, Joe, you and I have talked about uh, subtextual writing. This is exactly what they're doing here when they're saying that this guy doesn't understand the subtext. Because when you say a desire for more cows, what does that mean? That means you're going to get it by hook or by crook. Uh, and, but this guy has translated it to being an argument, which, which if you say he has a desire for more cows, it implies the argument. It's almost like it's subtextual linguistic. Uh, on page 16, 
Um, what I also did, what was I wrong? Um, in, it was just a, 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 so we're at the end of our, our, our pages here without really, we didn't, we didn't really give it, uh, the, 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 the discussion I wanted. The, unfortunately, there's a great exchange between her and him on following these pages, uh, her and him meaning Jeremy Renner. Do you remember, uh, that scene by any chance where they're in the helicopter and, um, they're talking, their introduction, their meet cute is very, I thought very, was very well. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so all in all, a really, um, the, the main difference between the script and the movie that I picked up on was when the bomb goes off, mm-hmm. um, they, in the script, one of those, either Abbott or Costello says he, the other one sacrificed his life to save them. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the movie, it was, he's, oh, he's not here because he's in death process, whatever right. that is supposed to mean to her, um, as well, opposed to you guys basically killed him and he sacrificed his life to save you. Um, and that's a big difference. I don't, I don't know. What do you guys feel about that? Yeah, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty significant, I think. I, I, I have a, okay, so my dis- the reason I disagree is because he, when they say he's in death process, the the I think she knows what what that means. I think she understands that. And it for me, it meant that she felt the sense that she she kept saying, "I have to, we have to get back there and telling tell him it wasn't us." And so when she finds out that one of them is dying, I think she's already understanding that he sacrificed that that uh, that alien sacrificed himself for them. So I, I think it's better not to say it and let us you know, pull it out of the story. Oh, I, think, I don't, I don't, I did not pull it out of the story when I watched the movie. Uh, I did. No, I, either. Uh, okay. Well, the, I, I loved that. I mean, you know, the idea of noblest, what do they call it? Noblest, noblesse, noblesse oblige. Yeah. Oblige, uh, from a, a race that, uh, I mean, this is a type of movie where you hope that people see it and understand how stupid we can be as a, as a species. And, and really, you can't really say that anybody here was acting out of their, their, out of their uh, self-interest, even the Chinese general. Uh, yeah, there's a great, great line in the script where they're talking about the aliens are coming and, and we're going to have this big war and, and destroy ourselves. And she says, we don't need an alien race to help us do that. <laughs> yeah, that's a great line. That's uh, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we're going to wrap up uh, this uh, edition of uh, Plot Points Podcast. Um, I'd like to uh, thank our my wonderful guests, uh, Victor Fan, um, who is always a, a stalwart of film and uh, creativity, Victor. You know you're, you're great. I love you to death. Thank um, you, love you too, man. And um, look forward to sharing many more, uh, you know, uh, thoughts and opportunities for film and stuff with you, Jeff. Um, you know, from the moment I met you, man, I fell in love with you too. I don't know what it is. You're just a great guy and a, a great teacher and a great writer. So. I love you, man. <laughs> You're not getting my Pepsi. What was that commercial? You're not getting Bud Light. Bud, Bud Light. Light. Yeah. And Joe, uh, you know, we've had a uh, oh uh, shit, Joe. Well, when we come next podcast, Joe, if you want to be on it, we can talk a little bit about the blacklist because we're going to that networking event this week. More than that, man, you are a writer. You are a real thing writer. So thank you for for sharing some of your insights here on Plot Points podcast. Well, thanks very much for having me on. And, uh, you know, I, there's a great deal of your notes and input in everything I do, which I get from your workshop. And uh, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to try it uh, without. So uh, I, I really value your, uh, your analysis and your input and, uh, and our friendship. So yeah, no, I'm that's... happy to, happy to come back. Well, uh, yeah, we, I, I think we'll probably have you back uh, for the next one so we can, you and I can talk a little bit about the blacklist and, uh, and then a further thing. So, um, you know, this, this has been, this podcast has been a, a great uh, benefit and joy to me. And uh, our good friend Toby Walwork has uh, unfortunately had to step aside for uh, the interim. I, I don't know if he'll be back or not, but Toby, uh, I just want to say uh, this podcast would not have been possible without you, without your your expert guidance uh, and your wonderful comments and and good humor. 
So uh, for everybody from uh, the people who started with me and the people I have with me now, uh, this is Plot Points Podcast. Uh, be inspired. Do good work. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much. Okay, we're out.